0: The gentleman you see in the photograph on the screen is named Jeremy, and yesterday I was able to pray with him. He, a couple of years ago, was involved in a serious accident, and he's disabled and walks with a cane. He lives with his elderly parents, whom you see in the other photograph, and his dad is also disabled. It was their house that volunteers from our family of faith painted yesterday as part of rolling in Rock Hill. And um, that's just one expression. All those volunteers who showed up to paint the house for this this family that uh, that needed that help, that assistance, is part of what it means to love people. You heard Jamie say earlier that we exist as a congregation to love God, love people, and make disciples. And you're familiar with what Jesus said, the great Commandments, two of them, right? Somebody came to him and said, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? In Mark chapter 12, in verses 28 and following, Jesus said this after being asked, What's the what's the first, the foremost, most important commandment? Then in the next verse, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. What did Jesus say? This is it. God is one. Here, here, here. Listen. Pay attention. Okay? Hear, O Israel. The Lord, notice that. The Lord our God. Is one Lord, knowing who He is, and therefore, because of who He is, we are to love Him with everything we have—heart, mind, soul, strength. The first and greatest commandment in life is to love God, and then Jesus said the second one is similar to it, and it's, it's that we're to love others, love people like we love ourselves. So the great commandment: love God, love people. And then in Matthew 28, what we often refer to as the Great Commission, Jesus said, "Go and do what." Make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, go and make disciples. So Jesus very clearly said, "You exist as a disciple, and you exist as a family of faith for these reasons: to love God, to love people, and make disciples." And so we we spend our time trying to figure out how do we do that, how do we accomplish that in our lives and in our community in this day and age. And of course, uh, Vision Twenty One, which is guiding our ministry and some of the things we're doing uh, for the next two or three years uh, talks about that. And there's there's paragraphs in here that delineate how we're going to get after this in very practical ways. And one of the paragraphs in here is on community engagement. And one of the goals we have in there is that every year, each physical year, we have at least 400 people from our church volunteer to serve in some way, whether it's in an ongoing ministry, uh, out in the community or uh, and a one-time service project like those that we did uh, this weekend. And so I want to share some stuff with you uh, that I think will encourage you. I don't know if you know this, but we host a mobile dental, dental clinic. Some of you will remember uh, a few years ago we had this large dental clinic here and, you know, and over a thousand people received free dental care. And so on Fridays, Every every couple of months, there's a mobile dental clinic in our parking lot, and uh, two dentists are always working in that clinic. And then in our gymnasium, there are always two hygienists. And so they, they were there this past Friday, and 40-some people received uh, free dental care who needed it. Just one of the ways that we can impact people in this community in a loving way, saying that, hey... Not only do, are we loving God, but guess what? God loves us and God loves you. And I, I was able to pray with a man uh, who came um, at the dental clinic uh, from the western part of the county. So I was able to pray with him this Friday. And then yesterday morning we had some volunteers uh, helping the Palmetto Women's Center, uh, which is a ministry we support that uh, uh, is a blessing to a lot of families. And there are, there are children alive today. That were not aborted because of that ministry. There are young women who uh, lives are better because of that ministry, and so they had a, a fundraiser, a, a, a color run, and so we had some people who ran. We had other volunteers who were there at the different stations handing out water. And, and I don't know why they like this, but they did. They throw paint, powdered paint, on the people who run. Angie over here told me this morning she still has some of that paint on her. Um, but so we had volunteers out there Saturday doing that, and then we had about uh, 35 or so volunteers down on Walnut Street painting that house. And i got three slides here just to give you a sense of the impact all of these volunteers had on that house. I mean, it looks a lot better. Let's go to the, the next slide, and you can see that's the finished product. And, uh, and so and that's a real blessing to a lot of people. Now, I want to show you this next slide. And you'll notice those are teenagers and children because whether it was at the color run for the women's center or the painting the house, uh, we had kids there. Parents brought them. Grandparents brought them. And that's always the case. And I think that's a great thing because in making disciples, there's a paragraph in Vision 21 that talks about family ministry. And one of the things we say in family ministry is that we want parents to disciple their own children. Yes, we as a church play a part in that, but we want to equip and assist and encourage and teach parents to disciple their own kids. And, uh, I mean, think think about it. We teach our kids the things that are important to us. And so if you come to my house and go upstairs where my 70-inch TV is that I watch ball games on, I just reached that point in life and I bought it, and it's up there, and I can see the threads on the ball. I love it, the seams. I mean, it's great. And uh, um, at my age, I need all the help I can get when it comes to seeing things like that. So I got that big TV. And over in the corner beside my TV is that. It's my Kentucky wildcat tree. And it stays up year-round. Now, you, you cannot come in to our house and not know we follow the big blue, okay? And that's just part of the evidence. But that tree is up. Year round, and our grandkids—they love that tree. And we have family and friends who will buy us ornaments. And now I don't think we have any more room for ornaments. But uh, you know, and 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 so I'm—that's something that I'm passionate about and care about. So I've taught my kids. And you know, the next slide, you know, our son Stephen. There's—he's born in Sumter, and I put the basketball in his bassinet. and we go to games, and we wear blue, and. And now he's got, you know, my grandson, his son, but my grandson, David, and, uh, you know, we're we're training him because it matters to us, okay? And 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 you notice it's the it's the real sport, it's the one with the round ball, the one that matters. Um, so we're we're teaching him early on, and and you know, and 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 Jacqueline, you know, I can't let Liam. I mean, his his dad's Canadian American and likes hockey. Who go figure? Who likes hockey? But I'm making I'm making sure. Do you? Really? Well, there's a few of you. I, you know, I don't get it, but hey, bless you. That's okay. Uh, but so I'm teaching Liam, you know, the real deal. And uh, by the way, he's learning to skate and play hockey, and he, so he's getting into that. He's, but I say, okay, you can do that, but you're going to pull for Kentucky. I don't care whatever sport you pull, you know. So you. Have any of you done anything like that? Yeah. Because we teach our kids to love the things we love. Right? Huh? We do. Well, what about Jesus? How's your passion for teaching your kids about Jesus? See, now, when it comes to UK, I didn't just take Stephen to a camp at, at Lexington and, and, and drop him off and say, that's going to do it. I, I drilled it in him from the time he was born. What about Jesus? You're just taking him to church and dropping him off and hope that takes about Jesus, your grandkids—how intentional, how passionate—and what about your example? Because they learn from our examples. And what about the place of sacrifice for Jesus versus he sort of gets the leftovers? Because we spend a lot of money on our kids, whether it's for sports or dance or music, all this other stuff. Do they see sacrifice for Jesus? See... If God says the most important thing in life is to love him, love people, make disciples, if that is the greatest commandment and the great commission, if that's what God says matters more than anything else, does it not make sense then that we should be passionate and and intentional about teaching those things to our children and our grandchildren? Why would, we, why would we who are disciples and followers of Christ say, okay, God, we know what matters most, but we're not going to be intentional and passionate about passing that on to our kids? It doesn't make sense. You know, I'm afraid quite often that's what we fail to do. We fail to pass it on with the same amount of passion we pass on other things. Now, when, when Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God and, and so on, part of it, he, he, was, he was quoting the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, open it to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is where we're going to live for a few minutes. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In the previous chapter, there's a recounting of God giving the Ten Commandments. And then in chapter 6, I want you to notice Immediately after giving the Ten Commandments, God put the focus on the home as the place where this teaching takes place. Did you hear what I just said? After giving the Ten Commandments in chapter 5 and chapter 6, God places a profound focus on the home, the family, as the place where the teaching of what God says takes place. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, have you heard this before? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, or you could translate it, the Lord is our God, the Lord is alone, he's the only one. And then in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might. That's what Jesus was quoting in Mark's gospel. And then he said these words which I command which I am commanding you today shall be where? On your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your <laughs> to your kids. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, When you lie down, when you rise up. And verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and I'll explain that in a minute. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So I want to spend a few moments talking about Parents and grandparents who disciple their children and grandchildren. What does that look like? And I'm going to have to run through this because I've got several things I want to point out to you. So I've just got to be be quick. Can't really spend a lot of time developing each other, just a little bit. So here's six or seven things I want you to jot down. If you want to be a parent or a grandparent who disciples your children, your grandchildren, the first thing is you have to know who God is. That's why it begins in verse 4 by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord... (laughs) Listen to that. Look at that. Verse 4, do you have your Bible open? Notice what it says. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Know who God is. Monotheism, that the Bible teaches there are not many gods. There is only one God. That God expects loyalty And so what in philosophy and theology we call syncretism is not permitted. Syncretism is the idea that you take some ideas from this religion, some ideas from that religion, some ideas from another religion, as many philosophies and and religions as you want, and you, you put them together to create your own belief system, which means in essence rather than worshiping the one true God, you are worshiping a God you created in your own mind, and that's not real. The Lord, by the way, it's Yahweh, the sacred personal name of God we talked about a few weeks ago. That a devout Jew, when they would come to, in the Hebrew text, the Hebrew Bible, to the name of God, Yahweh, it was so sacred and personal they wouldn't pronounce it and they would substitute the word Lord. And that's the reason some of your English Bibles have Lord there, all four letters in cap in, are, are capitalized, signifying that it's the sacred, holy name of God, Yahweh. Know who He is, that He alone is worthy of worship and loyalty and 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 service to know him. Because here's the thing. You you can't teach your children and grandchildren who God is if you don't know who God is. So you need to know God. The second thing is you need to love God. Verse five. You shall love the Lord your God with Everything, your heart, your mind, your strength, everything that is a part of who you are to love God, God is not to be a you know a little portion of your life over here. God is to be at the very center of your life as you love him above everything and everyone love him and and, and so therefore, our religion, our faith, our service. It's not out of obligation, it's not out of fear, but it's out of love. Because here's the thing, whatever you focus on shapes you. And if your approach to religion is you focus on rules and obligations and fear, you become a more negative person, you become a more doubtful person, you become a more critical person, you become a more harsh person, you you don't ever have absolute confidence but when your motivation is love there's a freedom there there's a joy there there's an energy there there's a passion there there's a kindness there there's a there's a gentleness there and so love God And don't don't teach your kids to serve God out of fear and out of of obligation to a bunch of rules. Teach them to love Jesus because you love him. And through your life and your interactions and your example and your words, you're teaching them that it's not about uh, obeying a bunch of rules. It's about loving him. Love God. I was talking with a woman who is a part of our church family. Talking with her yesterday while we were painting houses, painting that house. And she grew up in a family that it was all about rules and all about obligations and all about fear. And she talked about how. You know, she was afraid if she did anything, she was going to hell, and she never had any confidence. And and on and how 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 tough that was, and 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 she started coming to church here, and she was listening to another Baptist preacher uh, via the online access, and 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 when she realized God's grace and God's love, how it freed her and it changed her. Teach your kids and grandkids how to love Jesus. Not how to follow a bunch of rules, but how to love Jesus. Number three, hide his word in your heart. Hide his word in your heart. Look at verse 6. These words which I am commending you today shall be on your heart. You see, I, I can't give my kids what I don't have. If I don't know God, if I don't know his word, his word's not in my heart and in my life. I can't give them what's not in me. I can't give them what I don't possess. And so hide the word of God in your heart. So we, See, I, I think the reason the, the focus is on loving God and then putting His word is in, in your heart is because, you know, Monisa and I, we actually enjoy talking to each other. Isn't that how love's supposed to work? Huh? If people don't like being around each other, people don't enjoy talking to each other, it makes me wonder how much love they really got. You love the Lord? You love Jesus? You want to talk to him. You want to hear from him. His word is him speaking to you. You develop a hunger for his word. You get into his word because you want his word in you. Why? So you can follow a bunch of rules? No, you love him. You love him. And you just want to be with him. And you want to hear him. And you want to know him. And you want to serve him. And you want to obey him. You want to put his word in here. You don't want to be cold in your walk with Jesus. That's one of the things I love about the D group process: the reading, the memorization. We're putting God's word in our heart. And here's listen, brothers and sisters: I cannot put God's word in my heart if I don't read it on my own. If, if about the only time you you touch this book is to bring it with you on Sunday and think, I thank God you bring it on Sunday. But if you don't touch it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and so on, you're probably not doing much to put his word in your heart. And and, and as a preacher, let me say this to teachers, as a preacher, I have to be careful that I'm not just reading God's word For sermon preparation. And as a teacher, you have to be careful that you're not just reading God's Word to prepare a lesson because you need time to hear from God that has nothing to do with anything you're going to preach, nothing to do with anything you're going to teach, simply because you need to give your Father the opportunity to speak His Word into your heart because He knows that's the Word you need. Put his word in your heart. Why did we put this bookmark out with a four-week Bible reading plan? Just to try to encourage us and train us to put his word in our heart. And this coming week is the last week. And if you don't have one, grab one there at the back of the chair, the pouch there. And next Sunday we're going to have a new one of these because we're going to start a new two-week reading plan based on Psalm 119. Because we need to put God's word where? And I have to read it. If that's going to happen, I was talking to an, another woman yesterday. And some, y'all gonna think, did I paint any? Is all I? But well just you know, look at my uh, yeah, I paint. I got paint on me. But yeah, I, I like to, I can paint and talk. I like to talk. Y'all know that, right? I like to talk. So. I was talking to this other lady, and she's talking about this Bible reading plan. And she said, when you first started talking about that, I was wondering, how am I going to do that? Because I'm already in two Bible studies, and so I study for, uh, for this Bible study. Uh, she goes to uh, uh, one during the week, and then she goes. Uh, she's so she's got two Bible studies, and she said, I'm studying for those. How am I going to make time for this? You know what her solution was? It just dawned on her. She, she gets on the treadmill every day. And on that, that that Bible app, okay, that's that you can put on your phone, your Bible app. So she puts it on a treadmill. She brings up the passage, the chapter for that day, and it will read it out loud to you. And she listens to it and she reads it while she's getting fit. So she's getting physically fit and spiritually fit. How about that? What's your excuse? Get that Bible out and you, you drive to work, turn off talk radio, you'll be happier anyway. Turn off talk radio and let the Bible out, read God's Word to you while you're driving around. See, if if there's a passion and a desire, there is a way. So put His Word in your heart. Hide His Word in your heart. Number four, you need to have a personal faith. Personal faith. Can't be you. You know, my granddad was a I've heard this, my granddad was a Baptist preacher. Well good, so what? I'm glad he was. What's that got to do with you? Huh? You know, I got a son who 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 I got a son who's a missionary. Great. What about you? It needs to be your own faith, because if you'll notice, Jesus, God here says, no, 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 "Notice this." God says in verse, verse six, that His word is to be in whose heart, your heart. He personalizes it, and then in verse seven, when it comes to teaching the kids, which kids are you supposed to teach? Yours, he personalizes it. So you you have to have your own personal faith. Now, group activities at church like we're doing right now, this is a group activity. You go to Sunday school, it's group activity. Beautiful, great. Those are helpful. They, those are needed. They matter. But group stuff can never be a substitute for personal stuff. What happens in this room is not a substitute for you sitting down on Monday with the Word of God and allowing the faith to be personal and individualized to you as you allow the Holy Spirit to put it into your heart and into your life. Don't ever allow group stuff to justify not doing the personal stuff when it comes to your faith, that's dangerous inadequate. Here's number five. Not only keep God's word in your heart but keep God's word before your kids and for this service I'll say you grandkids, Keep God's words God's word before them. Look at verse 7. He says you shall teach them diligently and boy that word diligently okay there's an intentionality to it and a a, a consistency to it to your your sons, to your children and you'll talk about it and all of that Let me me suggest three ways you keep God's Word in front of your kids and grandkids, okay? Number one is formally. What do I mean by formally? That's the teaching. That's having devotions. That's having devotions. That's helping them memorize Scripture. That's uh, teaching them Bible stories. it's being formal it's being intentional parents and grandparents need to do that the church does that you bring your children here we have children downstairs right now we have we have uh, some children upstairs fourth and fifth graders we have teenagers over in the other building and some of them are being they're, they're being taught God's word right now and that's formal teaching but you cannot you cannot delegate to the church all the formal teaching of your children and grandchildren god has given you the responsibility to do that first and most That's God's God's economy. That's how God set it up. We partner with you. And in some cases, we pick up the slack for kids who have parents that just don't do it. And God works through everything, and um, I thank him for that. But brothers and sisters, we give our kids such an advantage, our grandchildren such an advantage when we as parents and grandparents are doing our part. Our daughter-in-law, Sarah, does a great job sending Monisa and me photographs and, and uh, videos of their two kids, our grandkids. She, she sent us one this past week of Sarah, uh, of uh, Emily, who's two years old, just turned two. And um, she's sitting at the kitchen table banging stuff and singing out loud, enthusiastically, Jesus loves me. Because Sarah has been very intentional from birth, about teaching her these, these these songs, these Christian songs, and, and she's teaching her Bible stories. She was teaching her Bible stories at 18 months, okay? Because she's very intentional about discipling her children. And that's what God is talking about in this verse when he says, teach them diligently to your children, to your grandchildren. Now, so do it formally, but also informally. Informally, That's another way to do it. He continues in verse 7 saying, Not only do, are you to teach them, but you are to talk of them. When you sit in your house, walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, what does he mean? Well, he means an everyday conversation. Do your kids and grandkids ever hear you speak the name Jesus outside of something to do with Church? Do your children and grandchildren ever hear you say anything about the word of God? About what God is doing in your life? About God convicting you? Are you looking for those teachable moments to help them understand how God's truth applies to everyday living? And I know a lot of y'all got a kick, you know, a few weeks ago when I told about our four year old granddaughter um, you know, stealing the silverware from Lizard's Thicket. And I did take the silverware back on my next trip down to Columbia. And Liliana's four, so I don't know if she'll remember that or not. But you know who will remember it? Her nine-year-old brother, Liam. And he not only will remember that his sister stole silverware, he'll remember that I explained that even in little things and took him to Scripture to explain why even in little things, stealing is still stealing. Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the big things. And if you're not faithful in the little things, you won't be faithful in the big things. So why should I trust you with big things? Info, life lessons, everyday conversations, that's where some of the best teaching actually takes place. Helping them understand why you made the decisions you made and what your priorities are in life so in informal it that it's, it's that it's the idea that your faith is to be the fabric of your life and your kids and your grandkids know that's who you are and they learn from it but you also teach them visually verses eight and 9 about binding them as a sign on your hand and your frontals and doorpost of your house and the gates and all of that uh, Jews from the time of Moses, even up to today, took that very literally, and they would write verses of scripture on small pieces of parchment today on pieces of paper, roll it up, and they put it in a little box, and that box is is attached to a a leather a leather band and they let 's show them the next picture guys show them the next picture next slide. Uh, you'll see those little boxes on their forehead because even today, they're called phylactery. Some devout Jews will wear that at times on their forehead and on their arm and in that little box on little pieces of paper rolled up up are Bible verses. They took this very literally. Now, how many of you have any kind of Christian sayings or Bible verses on something around your house? Yeah, we've got them, right? When, I, when we decorate our family Christmas tree, because, you know, we have a lot of Christmas trees, when we decorate the main one in the living room, the first, after I get the lights and all that on the first ornament, right in the middle, I put it where it's eye level, right in the middle is one about Jesus. And then then I put my churches on, on, on that one. We, we do stuff like that, Right. So we we have all these symbols, but here's the thing, okay, listen. Symbols don't work. Symbols don't work if the real thing's not in your heart. And if the real thing is not shaping how you live, not the passion of your life, if the real thing is not what you talk about, except on Sunday morning. Symbols are great as a reinforcement, but they are useless if there's not the real stuff backing it up. Because without the real stuff, we're teaching our kids and grandkids how to have a shallow faith, not a deep, Real life-changing, abiding faith in Jesus. Teach them how to love, how to love Him. Um, here's number six. We have to be steadfast in our walk with Jesus. In verses ten and following, He says, "Now, <laughs> here, think about this, Moses." God had Moses warn them about something years ahead. In verse 10 he said, It shall come come to pass that when when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to the promised land and so on, and he he gives you all of these great and splendid cities, Uh, verse 11, all these houses full of good things and and cisterns that you're full of water and vineyards and olive trees and you eat and you're satisfied. He said, Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord. Do you know that sometimes the very blessings of God are the thing that distract us from following Him and being faithful? Do you know how many times in a month on average the active people in church show up? If the people who, who you would consider somewhat active Okay? Not the casual person that shows up once every four or five months, but the people that we consider somewhat active across America today. Do you know how many times in a typical month the average active church member shows up on Sunday? What's your guess? 1.7. About half the time. Wasn't long ago. It was closer to 2.9 or 3. God's blessed us. and we, we, We've got all these things we complain about. And I know, you know, people are living longer, which is a blessing, but that's also creating aging parent issues, right? But many of us have a place at the beach or we have a place at the mountain, and once you own one of those places, you feel obligated to go. <laughs> How many weekend trips? It used to be everybody took week-long vacations three or four times a year. Now now we take all these weekend trips. And now because of the economic blessings and all that's going on in our culture, kids and grandkids are involved in all these activities and schools are doing all these activities and none of it is wrong and none of it is bad. But what happens is all that stuff, all of the blessings of God, all of the success is screaming for our attention. and, and, And what happens is... Jesus gets squeezed out. The church gets squeezed out if we're not careful. And so I would ask if, if, if you're one of those who's here once, twice a month, what are you doing? Here's what I would ask you in all sincerity. What are you doing to contribute to the kingdom of God? Because it's difficult to contribute significantly if you're that inconsistent. And here's the last lesson. As a parent or a grandparent, you need to be able to answer your kids' questions. Because in verse 20, he said, when your son asks you in the time to come, and there's a question then verse 21, then you shall say to your son, so let me ask you, if your kids and grandkids come to you and ask you something about God, ask you something about Jesus, ask you something about Scripture, ask you something about the Bible, ask you something about about theology, do you have anything to say? That's why you've got to put God's Word in your heart so you have something to say. Close with this. Roland Level was president of uh, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary in the 40s and 50s. Born and grew up in Mississippi, and when he was a young man, he pastored a small church in a small town. And one evening, there was a mob that lynched a black man. In the 1920s. Following day, some decent folk found his body, took it down, took the noose from his neck, took his body into town, and brought the noose into town. And they started looking around, and, and a guy who owned a store recognized the rope as one he had sold the day before to a group of prominent citizens in that little town. That Sunday morning, Roland Level, this young preacher, got up in that Baptist church because there were some of the some of the men who were part of that mob that lynched that African American guy were members of his church. And so Roland got into the pulpit and he said, If a man will do in a crowd, what he would not do alone, he's a coward. Pretty strong words. And he said, no doubt lynching is murder and children in this town have murderers for fathers. Lynching cannot be justified under any circumstances. In the middle of his sermon, some men in the church got up and walked out. He didn't last at that church very long. But you know what? His daughter who wrote the book about him, She learned what it means to be a disciple from her dad who taught her by being the real deal. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what the the struggles are. I don't know what the, the fears are. I don't know what the excuses are. I don't know what the hindrances are. What I do know is your kids and your grandkids need you to be the real thing. So be a disciple so you can make disciples. Start by making them at home. Let's stand. Just listen to Jesus. Come to the altar. Come to the altar as we sing.